Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Today I am going to be speaking with my very good friend, coach and colleague, Mitch Shepard, and we're going to get into a conversation about what do you do when you are the recipient of unwanted attention. Have a listen. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. And I am thrilled to have with me today a consummate professional and a very good friend, Mitch Shepard. She's mother, wife, passionate world traveler and executive leader, and the CEO and chief truth teller at Human Inc. That's H-U-M-I-N Inc. Mitch has spent nearly 20 years coaching and training some of the world's top leaders. Her specialties are leader manager effectiveness and inclusion. And you can visit her at H-U-M-I-N-Inc.com. So with that, I want to say, Mitch, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. I'm so excited to talk to you. We always have so much to talk about. Yep, we do and have a great time doing it. So (laughs) I just want to let everybody know who's listening, you're in for a treat today. (laughs) We've known each other for quite a while. As I was getting ready for the show, I realized it's like been 15 years. Wow. Wow. I do everything. I time everything based on when I had my kids. So you're right, because we knew each other before I was married or had kids. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, your journey has always inspired me. You were my first professional coach and such a a great assistance and an aid to me when I was at Microsoft. And I would love it for you to share your journey. You went from being a team leader with Outward Bound, right? Something like that, right? Yeah, I can share Mm-hmm. And now CEO and founder of your own company and doing some amazing work in inclusion and leadership development. So I'd love for you to share with people your journey, your path, some of the insights, I, I would say the key insights that you've developed along the way there. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And there's been, as you know, your career too, right? So many ups and downs. And by the way, thank you for that compliment. That was so kind. And I feel the same way about you. I feel like I've learned equally as much from you over the years. So I got my start. And I won't won't give you every detail here. But in a nutshell, I went to school way back when. And this is partly relevant, my story about how 
like my experience as a woman in the world, in the professional world. I got my start, went to UCSB, worked my way through college, also had parents that were awesome and supported me through college in many ways. Thought I was going to go become an accountant or work for the FBI. I studied business economics, accounting. And instead, when I graduated, I was really attracted to people fields, to the fields of like emotional intelligence and personal growth. And long story short, I was led through some of the extracurricular stuff that I had done in college to have a real passion around the outdoors and using the outdoors as a vehicle for growth and self-improvement and team development. So I worked for Outward Bound. I, I'm skipping a big part of how I went from accounting to Outward Bound, but I originally eventually landed in a position with Outward Bound as an assistant instructor, worked my way up to instructor, and then eventually to course director, and spent nearly a decade off the grid. I mean, truly off the grid. When everybody else in my life was talking about dot-coms, I didn't even know what that meant, honestly. I mean, I don't admit that very many places, <laughs> but I was, I was the girl in the woods leading executive teams, man managers, teenagers, people going through major life transitions through the woods and, you know, five to 28 days at a time. And it's really interesting. Like, you know how your life makes a ton of sense when you look back on it, but while it's happening, you're not quite sure how it all connects sometimes. Totally. Yeah. So when I, it all makes sense now. Right. But when I was, um, it outward bound, I was almost always the only woman and people use that word token. I mean, I was always, because there were so few, so many fewer women in Outward Bound, and I ran these courses called multi-environment courses, which were part river, part canyoneering and climbing, and part mountaineering, there were very few women who did those courses. And so I would almost always be on a team of four as the only woman with three guys. And it wasn't even clear to me then. I mean, these were my best friends. They were like brothers to me. They were close colleagues. I, I never spent, God, I don't even remember ever spending a minute thinking oh gosh, I'm the only woman here, or this is different for me because I'm a woman or any of that. Like I, I was not conscious of it. I just thought, what? We're just a team here, right? But as I grew in my career, it's when I started to realize, oh wow, like there were definitely moments. I can remember a few moments sitting by the side of a river, having just gotten out of a team conversation with my three male colleagues and crying and being like, why am I upset? You know, why, why am I feeling insecure? And yes, was part of it newness to my role, probably. But part of it also was that I didn't realize it then that I see it now is that they could kind of finish each other's sentences. They kind of thought alike. They kind of came from similar backgrounds. You know, I would always tend to be the one bringing in a voice. Now, I often felt respected for my voice, to be fair. But it was always hard work to be like, they're all like group thinking over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should do this. We should do that. No. Yeah. We definitely shouldn't do that. And I'd come in and go, wait a second. I think that we should think about running this group this way or facilitating this conversation or maybe doing things a little differently. And it would just be like, <laughs> say what? Right. That kind of freeze. And it, looking back now, it doesn't surprise me at all that I then ended up getting into being a coach consultant, team development leader for, for businesses, high-tech companies, the girl that was off the grid, right, ended up coaching leaders and teams within high-tech industry around how do you listen to, hear, value, and lead, you know, different types of people who solve problems in different ways, who come to the table with different kind of backgrounds from different genders or race or 
ethnic diversity, et cetera. It just makes sense. It makes so much sense now, right? Right, totally. Well, you had the experience of feeling like you were maybe the the third or fourth voice out of a group that wasn't necessarily the same ideas as everybody else was having. You had that feeling, right? Yes. I, I always called that like being outside of the football huddle, like everybody else is in a huddle and I'm still trying to figure out how to get in. <laughs> yes. Like I would, I, the way I've said it is that I felt like I was part of the huddle, but that it was like, one of these things is not like the other <laughs> huddle. You yeah. know? <laughs> okay. So you were better integrated, I think, than I was. Maybe. Um, I still yeah. felt it, but yeah. So you flipped that around and you've taken that experience and the empathy that you have because of that experience and you've used that in a way to do your leadership development and your coaching that you do now. Yeah. And I mean, there's been a few different evolutions of that too, because at first, and I mean, I would say my career in the businesses that I've built have very much mirrored the way the world has, what the world has been ready for and not. As an example, you know, when I first finished working for Outward Bound because I I no longer wanted to sleep on the ground 200 days a year and have the life that comes with that lifestyle. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted a stable, just a more stable life. So I went to grad school, got a degree in applied behavioral science, which was, I think I graduated from that program, Karen, maybe a year or two before you and I met, but it was essentially the study of how do people get along in organizations and how do you look at organizational behavior through a systemic lens, as opposed to what so many people often want to do, which is just say, oh, if it just wasn't for that team or that person, if that person would just do a little less of this or a little more of that, everything would be fine. The training I got was, no, 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 no. Usually those are just symptoms. And if you just put a Band-Aid on a symptom by working with just one person or by you know firing someone or hiring someone different, you usually don't solve the fundamental problem. So as I was doing that work with people like yourself, what I started to notice right around the time that Sheryl Sandberg came out with her book, Lean In, which of course I was like on the list to buy immediately, leaders started to get the memo that, wow, I got to do better with women. I've got to hire more women. I've got to listen to women, value women better. I, I want to keep them on my team. Why do I keep getting women on my team? And then they leave were some of the questions I would get. And then I had this I had this moment that was just the moment that I knew I had to be part of the solution <laughs> was I was facilitating an offsite in Las Vegas with a sales team from a high tech company. There was about 25 people in the room. 23 out of 25 were men. 24 out of 25 were white. It was a very tech. It's like what most tech environments, senior level tech environments look like even still. And my client who hired me to come as people were entering the room, he's introducing me. And as one of the women on his team came up and he introduced me to her, we had this nice banter. And then she walked away and he looked at me and he said, Mitch, Oh, by the way, like you just watch that one. She's a little <laughs> like he kind of made the hand gestures, like a little out there. So I thought, well, isn't that interesting? That's an interesting data point. How's this going to look throughout the day, right? And I didn't believe him hook, line, and sinker. I was just, I was open to the possibility that perhaps he's right. And I was also super aware that maybe he isn't. So I watched her conduct herself through the rest of that meeting. And I felt like I was watching myself as a young professional. I felt like, oh my gosh, 
how do they not see that she's just bringing a different perspective, that the things she's questioning them on and the things she's saying in this room, thank goodness she's in this room because she's bringing up points that no one else is bringing up. She's coming up with ideas that no one else is coming up with. So at the end of the day, I called him on it and I said, wow, I had a really different experience of her than you did. And I think we got to talk about this, you know, and he's, he's a stellar leader, really open to feedback. And he too learned so much from that episode. Right. And it was at that moment that I said, you know what? I owe it. I do. I am not a professional at this yet. I do not know how to solve for gender discrimination or gender bias in business. Like I am not there yet, but by golly, I am going to figure this out. I'm going to figure it out for my clients. I'm going to figure it out for other women. And I knew intuitively from the beginning, Karen, that there was no way that this could just be a program to quote, fix the women or support the women or up-level the women. I knew right away it had to also be a solution that changed the culture, the system, the leaders who already had the power and influence had to open their minds to diversity, right? And the, and the good of diversity for the team. So that's how I kind of then took the deeper dive into women's development and culture development around, around gender. So it's more, what I love about this, it's more, it's just, it's supporting the women and also giving them some insights and tools, but it's really also addressing the structural systemic kinds of things that are in place that they contend with every day. So that's that's exactly right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like know. a CFO I recently was talking to one of our clients, he, you know, I have all these words to describe something and he just like bottom line nutshells it into this. He goes, Oh, I get it. You're raising the floor and loosening the ceiling simultaneously. And I was nice. like, bingo. I was like, can I just put that on my website? Because that's it. <laughs> Boom. Done. Right. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's great. It's like, I love it when those moments of the pivoting right? happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, what you just described, and it, it brought back a memory for me because when I was in seminary, I was, again, the only woman in the room with a lot of men who were training to become pastors. And I wasn't training to become a pastor, but I was um, involved in, you know, studying the wisdom literature and that kind of stuff for part of my master's degree. And one of the things that struck me is the way that we've inherited the wisdom stories and we've inherited them as told from a woman or a men's point of view. And there is so much of that that we've just in some ways grown up with. And, and, and when, you know, so we're going to talk about this a little bit more today because when you're a woman in an environment and you know you see things a certain way, you don't you also have that moment of, oh my gosh, is there something wrong with my point of view? It doesn't sound like theirs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It takes a lot of practice and confidence, not for everybody, but for most who are in a marginalized group. In any marginalized group, I would define that as you're, you're one of few whether you're one of few women or one of few black people or one of few Asian people or one of few young people in an environment that skews older or whatever it is. It, when you are one and only or one of few, it is, it takes an extra level of thought and constantly either you're just blind to it. Like I kind of was when I'm younger in my career, 
or you're conscious of it. And if you're conscious of it, it takes an extra layer of, is this solidly a good idea? Yeah, this is solidly a good idea. Okay. Who do I have to like stand up against or how do I get my word in? Like if I'm an introvert, which clearly I'm not, but if I'm an introvert and I'm in a super extroverted environment, hmm, I have a good point here. It's my job to get my word in. How am I going to do that? Right? Like introverts have to think extra hard if they're in extroverted rooms. Women have to think extra hard if they're in group think, male group think rooms. Right? I mean, yeah, it's exhausting sometimes or it just, it's like, just another day, right? I mean, this is just kind of comes with the territory if you're one of few. Yeah. So I would love to kind of pivot this conversation to a, a version of this because there is a time when we need to, to find a way to speak up and our confidence can be really rattled. And those are those cases where in the workplace, let's just say, Somebody calls you out or, you know, not in a bad way, but is calling attention to you. And this can be, it can be unwanted attention, Mm -hmm. right? There's a whole bunch of varieties of that. When we were getting ready for the show, you and I were chatting about the subtle ways and not so subtle ways that this shows up. So, so many. Yeah. So, yeah. And even when you and I were talking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's one of those moments where it seems like it was a compliment, but it really was a a moment that put me horribly on the spot. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like what? Like you should use that example because (laughs) there are so many good examples of, well, but that was a compliment. Like what? Yeah. Well, there's one example of it, you know, when I was the only woman in a room, it was a technical course that I was taking and the instructor stopped the class and in front of the entire class, he looked at me and he goes, I, I can't keep teaching with you in the room. You're too distracting. You're pretty. This isn't a bad thing. He goes, but uh, you're too distracting for me to teach. When I'm that, Karen, is an excellent example of inside voice, outside voice, <laughs> right? It's like, you're allowed to feel that. You're allowed to think that. But what makes you think you should stop your class and say that? Yeah. Right? And well, I think, I think there's, there's that, right? So the, let's just say that these things happen. Let's just embrace yes, that radical yes. reality. These things happen. And these we should things. start by giving a few more examples of what we're talking yeah. about by these things. But yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's the very blatant kinds of things where I frequently had to travel alone. <laughs> this is all in one trip. And I guess part of it is there's something about being a woman who's traveling alone and there's still some people who think that that sends certain signals, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the extreme example was when I traveled to Mumbai and I needed to be, because I was alone, I was literally locked behind double doors on a segment of a third floor in a you know five-star hotel and had only women coming to serve me. Wow. Um, right? Because of the danger of being a woman traveling alone in that culture at that time, right? That's a very extreme example of like really feeling like, wow, I'm set apart and I'm really different and being treated very, very differently. Not that anybody was trying to be rude, right? Of course. It's just kind of the way things were. 
and ranging to another example of, you know, here's a here's a really blatant one that might make some people. I hope this isn't triggering, but you know, some a guy came up to me and we it was a riverboat cruise that was part of a business deal where we were all kind of, you know, after the meeting, everybody was out on the river and we were going out for a nice dinner and kind of watching the sunset. And he came up to me and he got very close, like within my personal space. He says, you have such nice skin. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, okay. So that, that was that moment where you're like, I was trained. I was raised up to be the nice girl that doesn't ever piss anybody off. Yep. Right. Which I learned to get over. (laughs) However, you don't want to just like, like, okay, that's what I want to talk about is all of these cases where these things, these kinds of things happen and you can sit there like a bump on a log or say something. Yep. And in the age of me too, this seems like it's gotten a little bit more fraught. It really has. And, and even women are judging each other, men and women, everybody's judging what's the quote right way to handle if this happens or if that happens. And, and it's so easy to get righteous and feel like, oh, well, if that was me, I would have just done this. Or why didn't you just say that? And I think, I think that that's even harder than, right? Oh, wait, not only is this happening, in so many various ways, either it's the quick inside joke that you're not a part of or the sexual advancement at work or the inappropriate comment that was supposed to be a compliment or being silenced or shut down. I mean, there's just so many ways it shows up. And then to add the judgment layer to it, I think, Karen, you and I came to this conversation and this topic because both of us really felt like we want to empower women to realize they get to choose how they respond and that to try to guard yourself against all the judgment about why didn't you do this? Why you should have done that, you know? And yeah, I I can't claim to have been perfect in some of my responses over the years and you do the best you can. And I think it's our responsibility having lived through a lot of this to give some guidance, you know, to maybe folks who are like, yeah, how the heck do you handle this situation? I'm in it. I'm in it now. I've been in it. I'll be in it again. Yeah. Can you tell your story? Are you comfortable telling? (laughs) I have so many. I don't even remember which one I told you, but I think I told you this really bad one about when I worked in the receiving department, didn't I? Yes. Okay. So one of my stories, oh gosh, and I've thought of so many others really bad slash good ones since we talked. But when I was in college, I had a part-time job at a a lumber and home center as part-time job. And I first worked at the front desk as kind of the, the welcoming committee to people entering the store. And then... They moved me back to the shipping and receiving department where I worked with all, I swear my destiny, Karen, has just been to see what it's like to work with all men because so much of my life has been this. So they moved me back to the shipping and receiving department. And once again, actually, this is pre-hour bound, right? I was like 19 years old at this point. I walked back into the shipping and receiving department. There's boxes everywhere. It's a warehouse environment with old shabby tables everywhere where you ship and receive stuff. And all over the walls, and I kid you not, all over the walls, not just one poster, but probably a dozen of the various Miss Makita, Miss whatever the other popular power drill brands, you know, scantily clad women, you know, in bikinis, holding power drills, (laughs) 
And I'm like, really? This Okay, this is my work environment. I'm going to work with all these guys around all these, like, it looked like I entered Playboy magazine for power tools. And again, again, you know, this is to speak to how so many of us have been taught to to deal with the environment. Most of us can't even imagine an environment like this now. Maybe you can, but most of us is this totally unacceptable now. However, what did I do as a young 19 year old? I intuitively knew, again, I did not consciously think this, but I think I subconsciously thought, look, this is where you work now. These are your new friends. Get along. Right. And so what did I do? I mean, these were the guys I'd go to lunch with them. I worked with them hand in hand all day long, packing boxes, driving four wheelers around, whatever we did. They were good guys. You know, I didn't have any problem with them as as human beings. I didn't think that they were, I could sort of see then, just like I often do now, that this really is not right. And it doesn't mean these people aren't right. You know, it doesn't mean these people are like all just bad people because they hang out Makita things. So my solution though, it did start to wear on me. At first I was like, you're just going to be the cool girl. You know, you're just going to, this is going to bother you. Well, after a few months, it did bother me. So I, I was at a yard sale one weekend or like Goodwill or something. And I saw this poster of a guy, like a young man, super hot, if I can say that, shirt off, jeans on, couple of the buttons on the jeans undone. And the text on the poster said, a good man is hard to find. A hard man is good to find. <laughs> so I cracked up and my first thought was, I have to buy that poster and I have to bring it into the receiving department. And I started work super early, like 6.30, 7 in the morning. I hung it up. All my guys showed up later that day, later that morning. And by lunchtime, guess what? Oh my gosh. It was, it was spray painted black. Like they had just taken a can of spray paint and just, just made it invisible. And that's the first time I remember getting into an outward debate because now I was pissed. I was like, oh, the rules aren't the same. Like you want me to look at your Makita girls all day long, every day, but I can't hang this poster. So an example, it's like, yes, I stooped to their level. I hung a poster. That was not my best day. That is not the way I generally recommend handling situations as I've matured, right? Like an eye for an eye kind of thing. But it really upset me that they couldn't handle it for even a few hours. And it was the first time I actually spoke up and said, you know what? This is lame. How do you think, like, I'm your friend, I'm tough, but how do you think posters like this make women feel? You know, it's objectifying. And I just got into it with them. By then I had enough trust in the bank account that I felt like I could challenge them without losing the relationship, Really important. Really important there. Yeah. 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 I think it really is. Right. Because when you have less power, less seniority, not a tight relationship, and you get treated in a way that's less than fair, that's sexist, that's a really hard thing to know how to navigate. Well, and I think that, first of all, I love that you did that at 19. That's just, I think that's brilliant. That was really brave. And it also really highlighted something that's like you went from being like, yeah, we're all friends to, oh, this is really you and me all alone. Like the rules apply to you quite differently than they apply to me. Mm-hmm. And just, they just made that incredibly obvious. But I love what you said. Uh, I do agree with you about having built up the trust bank account before you make you know, like challenge it to make a withdrawal potentially about saying, hey, you know, something is not right here. But I want to I want to kind of go there with you for a second because 
I'm wondering if there's people who are listening right now who are saying to themselves, you're just telling us that we have to take it. Like there's things that we're seeing that are making us really uncomfortable in the workplace. How do we decide when are we going to do something? Do we do we just leave? Do we speak up? Do we risk backlash? And those are all of the decisions, right, that go in our heads about saying, how do I handle this? Like, yep. I'm embarrassed. Do I embarrass them? You know, do yep. what, like, how do we gracefully find our path? And what you were mentioning earlier that's so important is there's no one size fits all. No, there's not. And I love that question. How do we gracefully find our path while not just accepting more of the same? I mean, I would add this part while not accepting more of the same so that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation have only made just barely made progress on this stuff. Right. So let me start by saying that even the preface of this conversation that we are talking about, what can she do if she's Mm -hmm. in this situation? Let me just bump it up a level and say my overall belief in, in, in the work that I do is, you know, around building environments that are fit for human habitation, that are inclusive in their nature, and that it's companies' responsibility to really measure what is the experience of women who are working here? What is the experience of Black people who are working here? What is the experience of new employees? What is the experience of older people if they're if, if this company skews young, et cetera? Really measuring, like companies measure engagement, but they really measure what is the actual experience, the degree to which you feel belonging, the degree to which you feel you can show up with your authenticity in terms of your strengths, talents, attributes, and feel fully leveraged, and to what degree... Do you feel like this is a fair and safe place to be? And it is actually not her, some individual woman at any level's ultimate responsibility to make sure this stuff doesn't happen. It is the company, it's the environment, and it's educating the population all up that, hey, do you know the impact on women when things like this are said or done? You know, it's it's changing the environment is the most important thing. That said, we do end up in these situations. And so the context of this specific conversation, since we aren't talking to like CEOs who have pull over culture or heads of people in general, that's not who we're talking to on this call. We're talking to women in tech, right? On this call. Right. Right. So if you end up in this, I just want to make that really clear because I don't think that women should have to put up with this crap. I really don't. And that's the world I'm fighting for. Right. And that said, I think, that what we have to consider when we are in these situations, let me use Ariana Huffington as an example, right? She's got all the confidence in the world, presumably, and a whole lot of status and power and money and a lot of rank. And a few years ago, I'm sure some of your listeners probably read about this story when Uber was going through all that turnover because their CEO had been accused of all sorts of inappropriate things with women. I, I don't remember the full, full extent of it, but he was being removed from his position as CEO. And the board was actually had brought in an attorney to talk to the company, uh, the board, they brought in the board and the company and the, an attorney to talk to the company about the changes that they were going to make. And Ariana Huffington at one point was on stage in front of the company with David Bonderman, I think was his name, a fellow board member, man. And she said something to the effect of, hey, we have gotten this stellar woman. She's going to become part of our board. And the good news about that is, you know, she started to purport the benefits of having a woman on the board. 
And she said something to the effect of, look, the research shows that when you have one woman on a board, you're more likely also to get more. And her counterpart, David, spoke up and just in this kind of sarcastic joking, right? Like he was just joking, aren't they all? Said, actually, what it shows is that there'll be much more likely to be more talking. (gasps) He gives a dig, boom, to Arna Huffington in front of the whole company on a stage. Now, the very next day, I'm in a meeting with in an inclusion session with a couple hundred people and the CEO is kicking off the event. He and I had not talked about this bit of news and he asked the company in front of everyone. So did everybody read about what happened with Ariana Huffington yesterday? And I just want to start the session with a question. I want to start the session with why didn't she say more? Because what she said in response was she uncomfortably laughed and she just said the words, Oh, come on, David. Right. So, so it was this like, you know, now how many of us have been in the situation where we have just uncomfortably laughed something off because either we were frozen. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Like, what do I say right now? Or, you know, we haven't attended the school of snappy comebacks. (laughs) It's like people pretend like we're supposed to know how to react in every single situation. When I got asked out at age 16, when I had my first job by a 40 year old manager, I didn't know what the heck to say. I went into the bathroom and had a near anxiety attack. That's what I, it's the only thing my body knew how to do, right? Or in a Huffington at age 50 something or 60 something, I don't know how old she is. She's still frozen and does the uncomfortable laugh. So in this moment with the CEO, what I did, I, I put it back and I said, you know, it's easy to assume that, and by the way, we're having this conversation now in front of all of his employees because he chose to start the the conversation this way. So, you know, it's easy to assume that it's the woman's responsibility to say something, but the entire board was present. Why didn't any of the male board members say something? Why is the assumption that it should have been Ariana that said something? Because she was the subject of this joke? Because women were the subjects of this joke? She is supposed to stand up for all women? Like, what about the guys? Where's their responsibility? And I mean, he got it in a nanosecond. To his credit, he's a massive ally, learner, But so, you know, I think when it comes to how do you respond to these things, I think there's a couple things. I think there's what you do in the moment and then there's what you do later. And then there's what you do next time. Because truly, like sometimes you're frozen in the moment. Later, you find yourself going, whatevs, it wasn't a big deal. Or, wow, that was a big deal and I wish I'd known what to say. Or I'm so mad that was the 10th time this happened and now I'm about to brew over with anger. I can't take it anymore. It's now affecting me, my performance, whatever. Every every situation is a little bit different. And yet there's so much similarity that threads throughout these examples. So Karen, I think, and I would love to hear what you have to say on this too. I think there's this whole spectrum of responses, right? I think once on one side is, whoa, the way extreme over here is file a lawsuit, report to HR, some sort of reporting. On the other side, ignore it, avoid it, pretend it didn't happen at all. But all the way in between, there's like dozens of options, right? I mean, the general rule that I tell clients when I'm working in, in on issues around this is I say, it is the responsibility of the senior most person in the environment to stand up for bias when it's happening in a room. It is not the person who is the subject of the bias. Yes, if their conf- if their confidence is up, if their trust bank account's high enough, if they're courageous enough, great, go for it. But that is not the person who 
who the responsibility should land on. But that said, if nobody does call it out, which is often the case, now it's still left on you. Do you talk to someone perhaps that you trust in that meeting environment or who has seen this behavior happen? Someone you trust to just say like, hey, could you have my back like the next time this happens? Like Ariana may have. We don't know what she said after that meeting. She might have railed that guy. She may have gone to the board and said, hey, guys, next time a sexist thing happens, could you please be the one to, to say it? Right. Like she may have asked for amplification or advocacy with someone she trusts who she knows is an ally. She could have maybe even said something like, I am actually a big fan of like sarcasm and humor in certain situations, like in a situation like that, she kind of used a little bit of it, but you could even say like, Hmm, I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. Yeah. Right. I'm just going to give you a minute to think about that and then don't say anything. Let him defend himself. Let him be like, Oh God, and like puke all over himself. Right. (laughs) That's a that's the tough choice when it's public. <laughs> when, right? it's public. public. when it's public, yeah, you better have equity before mm-hmm. you publicly embarrass or shame another person. Is yes. my opinion. Yeah, um, it's true. It's <laughs> true. Um, and although I will say, I think there are people who are pushing that boundary. And here's an example of how I think I'm going to make a generalization about like the younger generation who has grown up not taking some of this stuff and in whose mothers didn't tell them, Oh, that's just the way it is. Or whose mothers said to them, Nope. mm -mm, Somebody talks to you like that. mm -mm, You stand up for yourself or even you see unfairness in an environment. Like you stand up for that. Right. So here's, here's a story. This one doesn't relate directly to being like um, harassed or something, but A company I work with, a smaller biotech, got bought by a bigger biotech. The smaller biotech that I had been really intimately involved in kind of some of the inclusion work and some women's programming, the whole executive team is just like textbook amazing when it comes to walking their talk, putting their own skin in the game. They, they, They in three years changed the look of their executive team. It was mostly male and white. By the time three years went by, because they put really good focus on this. They had diversity of color, gender, and age, all in backgrounds all across the team. It was like so cool. Well, then the big guy comes in and their new executive team is in front of all few hundred of the smaller company's employees. And it's 100% white men over the age of like 55. And one young employee and the CEO of the company that had just gotten acquired told me this story with glee in his in his voice. He goes, Mitch, you would have been so ama- like amazed at what happened yesterday. The new executive team comes and it starts introducing like, here's, you know, here's the company, blah, blah, blah. And starts saying, we care about diversity. And he, he, he starts saying that he cares about diversity. And then one young woman, new, brand new to the company, has no equity, as you call it, stands up. It's because sometimes this might fall into the ignorance is bliss category, or this mm-hmm, might yeah. fall into the like, you just have nothing to lose. I'm not quite, or you're just a spitfire. I don't know what category this falls into, but she raises her hand and she's like, excuse me, but you're talking about the importance of diversity and your entire executive team are white men over age 55. Like it does not compute. Like she said it just so directly. There was no mincing words. And the guy just started just talking and talking and talking and talking and like had nothing to say. And so I do think there's a generation of people 
that are unafraid. And I do agree with you that there are consequences sometimes that people don't see and that you get to decide as an individual, do you want to risk those consequences? That's right. No? That's what I, that's really what we both believe. Like it's this is about uh-huh. choosing, choosing your path. Yep. And what is right for one, like the Ariana Huffington example, which is so great. That's probably something like I would have done. And I've been in that position, right? Just there's that fight, flight or freeze option that we all have when something like this kind of puts us off balance in front of other people or even one-on-one and how we choose to react in that moment is I would say that right for that moment. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not going to be like you should have done this or you should have done that. And I think that was one of the things that was so painful to watch in the, in the me too aftermath with some of the, you know, really terrible experiences that women encountered there. And the question that got asked over and over again is why didn't you say something? And you can't ask that question really because you weren't there. It wasn't you. It's, um, right. Or if you ask that question, at least be willing to listen to the most popular right. answer, which is, I was afraid I didn't have power. I was worried I'd lose my job. I mean, right. I brushed over that. I was at 16, first job in a video store inside of a grocery store, got asked out by my 40-year-old boss, thought it was the grossest thing ever, never told my parents. Why? I told my daughter the story. She's like, why wouldn't you tell your parents? I'm like, because I was so afraid that I knew, first of all, I had the confidence to know there's no way I'm going on a date with that guy. And there's no way he's ever getting me anywhere close to his car or his bicycle or whatever vehicle he uses. Like I was like, made some decisions right away. I also made the decision. I didn't want to not work at that video store. And I knew that if I told my parents, they would say, okay, you cannot work there. We have to protect you. It's our job to protect you. And so it's like, we, we judge women for not telling on people like the Matt Lowers of the world or the Harvey Weinsteins, even and we're like, but they had power. Yeah. But you know, we don't get to judge. We don't get to judge. They, it's a whole okay. culture that created the dynamic of people staying silent. And it's not one individual who's going to fix it or who's on the hook to fix it for everyone else, you know? Absolutely. So I love what you're saying that, you know, in the group environment, there has to be this culture of saying there's a, we're, first of all, there's got to be some sensitivity and awareness Yes, that says this could be a thing that really starts to lower the level of trust, lower the level of productivity, lower the level of teamwork and camaraderie because it sets a person apart and we need to make sure that that doesn't happen. So there's that group thing. There's so many times that this happens, though, in a in a situation that's private or uh, there's nobody else in the room. I had I told you that one example where, well, let me just say that there, you've got to have a way of just maybe anticipating in advance. It says if something like this happens, what's my level of comfort mm-hmm. and how am I going to handle it? Yes, and you, it's I love your. You suggested it earlier, that two-part approach. You might have something that you do in the moment and get yourself out of a situation, especially if it's one that's threatening you in any way, for sure, right? Get out. But then the second thing is, what do you do afterwards? Yes. How do you bring it up? How do you 
perhaps I would say directly confronted or there's so many options that you have, but I think it's helpful for us to say this is still happening. Yes. And don't pretend like it's not going to happen, but also don't get super anxious about it. Think about your proactive response and how you want to show up with it and know that what you choose for you is the right way to go. Yeah. And, you know, you're hitting on this is people's behavior is rather predictable. And when somebody shows you who they are, they'll usually, you know, wherever you go, there you are, they'll usually show up that same way again. And so I think what happens, especially if we lean towards the haha, laugh it off or avoid it side of the spectrum, is that what we're unconsciously doing is letting that person know that we're not going to hold them accountable, that they're going to get away with that. And what we're unconsciously showing the room, if it happens publicly, is that, oh, she's cool. You know, like she's not someone that's going to get all weirded out about this stuff, you know, because that, that still exists in our business environments too, is like, who are the cool chicks kind of thing, you know, like, like, oh, you're not one of those overly PC people, are you? That still exists big time, right? Like you don't always know who you're safe with, but people's, people's behavior is predictable. And the other thing that's really up in the world right now is that most leaders, like there are a cadre of leaders who think that things have gotten too PC, that diversity programs are stupid, that women are making a big deal out of nothing. But the majority of leaders, and I am heartened because I work with these leaders day in and day out. The majority of leaders want feedback. They want to know when they have offended someone. I cannot tell you how many leaders I've worked with recently even who are like, I have nominated people on my team who have, I have invited them to please tell me if I step in it, if I say something off kilter, if I offend someone and I don't realize it or don't call something out that I should be. I mean, leaders are holding themselves, power players are holding themselves accountable in ways that they have never done before, in my opinion, which is so awesome. And which means I think we have a window as women to go a little further in calling things out than we may have been comfortable with six months ago or six years ago. And let's not overlook one of the most obvious things, if that's true. If you know somebody is generally like a conscientious, good person, and you have trust with them, and they aren't in charge of hiring or firing you, those are important caveats, but maybe even if they are, pulling them aside and saying, hey, look, that thing you said, it just distracted me. It just offended me. Or, you know, look, women in the workplace, all we want is really to just be seen like you want to be seen with our credibility, with our smarts, with our expertise. Just those comments that you make about my outfit or my sex appeal or whatever it is that you want to say, whatever's true for that person. It's just unnecessary. It's just a distraction. I just don't want to go there. You know, you can just say things like that to people and you can say them in ways that don't make that person you know, you're bad, you're wrong, you're this, that. I mean, there are strategic ways, again, if you want to put it right between the eyes and that's your style and that's the only thing that's going to feel satisfying, again, your choice, right? But if you want it to stop, but you want it to stop and not risk your livelihood or their relationship with that person, there are ways to get strategic. I recommend people do talk it through with like another woman who's maybe been in that situation or a manager that you really trust and say, look, I'm in this situation. It's awkward. The goal for me is I don't want to 
ruin this relationship, but I also don't want this behavior to continue. I think this person by and large is a great, great person, but this is not okay with me. I don't necessarily want to go to HR right now, but look, this is not cool. Can you help advise me on how I can tackle this? And if you have a great manager, hopefully they're going to say something like, hmm, let me pay more attention to this too, because you're right, that's not cool. And if I see that happening, it's not even going to be about you. It's going to be about me talking to them directly and saying, dude, you cannot say stuff like that. It's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it comes to mind that we we teach other people how to treat us. Yes, we do. <laughs> we and do. so and and we can model back to them the way we by the way that we handle things, the way we would like to see them handle things. Yeah. And recognizing that everybody's different and there is always going to be those outlier situations, but for the most part I have always believed that people in the workplace want to do the right thing. They want to do a great job. They want to be, you know, the team player may not exactly have it all nailed down yet how to do that really well. But if we can give people the, to, to the extent that is safe, give people the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. and have the conversation with them coming from that place. It makes it a little easier in my experience. And I I think there's a distinction to be made between like the serial predators who are sneaky and truly like the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, right? Because women on this call might be literally thinking of those guys, right? We are not talking about the people who've already proven themselves to like pay people off, be, you know, threatening, hanging over your head, your job, stuff like that. Oh my gosh. These are not the people who you're going to decide to be diplomatic and, and, assume best intent with, right? There's a massive difference between the person at work who says something ignorant, insensitive, old school, you might call it or whatever. And and the person who's just a serial sexual predator, right? I mean, and a lot in between, but you know, that's, that's what I meant by outliers. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be those people. So let's just talk about that really quickly in the time that we have left. If you are in that position and you have something going on that is really messing with your head because you're wondering if somehow you're wrong or somehow you're at fault or just know that you're not. And if you have someone who is exhibiting that sort of predatory behavior, you need to find another person who you can talk it over with immediately and get yourself into a safe place. Don't let it continue. And if you have to, really, if you have to switch jobs, you're going to have to switch jobs. Uh I don't advocate staying, you know, staying in a situation where there is somebody messing with your psychology and potentially more any longer than you absolutely have to, like get, get safe first and find somebody to talk to who can help you work through it and um, also validate that what you feel like is happening and what you feel like is going on in the environment around you is that you're not crazy. It's not you. <laughs> yeah. We, I, you know, have been there, done that. And uh, getting somebody to talk to was incredibly helpful. Yeah. So we could go on and on and on. I think we should probably do another show sometime. <laughs> I would love to hear what the comments and the feedback are from people and any questions that you've got for us, 
on this topic, we really want to hear from you, for all of you who are listening right now. And send us your concerns and send us your questions and send us your thoughts about this, because this is such an important topic. And and I don't think it's being really discussed. But we want you to know that you've got that inner wisdom, that self-awareness, that knowledge, you might feel a little shaky about it, but trust your gut and trust your inner knowing. And, you know, don't be afraid. If you feel like you should speak up, say something, do it. Yeah. You know, I totally and not, and don't be afraid of what other people are going to think. Yep. And I, or if you are, I mean, just be aware of that fear and try to have some backup support for yourself on that one. Right. But I am really curious too, Karen, what you said, like people that have questions, additional ways they've handled this stuff or reactions or concerns about anything we've talked about. You and I are in territory that we've also never gone as two professional women at the stage and career we're at. We've never gone into this level of depth around this topic. And, and there are so many big opinions about what's right and wrong when it comes to calling out bad behavior that I'm really curious how this is landing for folks. And it's possible, Karen, that you and I are missing some things. And if so, like, I'd love to hear from people to say, you know, Absolutely. I thought you hit this a little too softly, or I thought the tone was just right, or I really appreciate that it was really left in our court or that it's not just me, it's the environment, whatever. I mean, whatever felt like, yes, we need more of that, or we missed something, please tell us. Yes, absolutely. No, that's the only way that we get better at what we do too, right? When people come back and say, wow, that was an air ball, like totally missed that one or nailed this one. So yeah, we do. It just is so helpful to hear back from people and for us to kind of get a pulse of what's going on. And if you want to hear us talk about it again, right, that's also good to know. We can kind of like explore another another piece of this. But yeah, this is new territory for both you and me. Yeah. Yeah, not new territory in having dealt with it, but new territory in terms of the plethora of current options that you have available to you in dealing with it. But Karen, I always love to talk to you. You're just, I find your voice so calming and reasonable. And I just, I walk away, I bet your listeners do too. I walk away from every conversation with you just feeling like, you know what? All is right in the world. <laughs> you really do. Love, love being around <laughs> So thanks for, you know, and I'm the other extreme. I'm like this feisty, you know, firecracker. So I, I love us together. I think it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a good mix. It's an absolutely <laughs> really good mix. You bring my energy level up, actually. You know, my second career might be just kind of recording lullabies for other people's children. That might be <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would buy that. okay that's awesome hey mitch we are like out of time unfortunately but we'll keep talking but but for sure people how do you want people to send you notes or comments on the show oh yeah well okay so linkedin i'm on linkedin most days when the show gets posted i'm happy to take your comments good bad or ugly right there in the comments you don't have to I'm really open to public anything, appreciation or criticism. Also, you can follow me. If you want to just stay in touch with me, you can always email me, Mitch, M-I-T-C-H at Human Inc., which is H-U-M-I-N-I-N-C.com. And I hope you'll go to our website, humaninc.com, and stay in touch. At the very bottom, there's a button to stay in touch. We send a newsletter out once a month. 
I offer free calls once a month on various topics of interest regarding stuff like this and inclusion matters and how to grow your careers and whatnot. So hopefully you'll join our mailing list at humaninc.com. Thanks so much, Karen. Yeah, perfect. I can't wait to see what comes from this and we will get together and talk again soon. It's been amazing again, Mitch, to be with you today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Karen. Be well. You too. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally. Thank you.